Welcome to the Off the Bench Podcast, home of all things sports here in the Central Valley. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod Off the Bench. Jason, here we are, episode five, Off the Bench Podcast. Crazy, I can't believe we're already on five. I know, man, It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I... <laughs> we talked originally, it was like, well, let's do one. You know, I don't, we, we didn't really think we were going to do this, but we ain't stopping. No. And the lists of guests that we have coming up, just different people that, you know, we've thought about, talked about, and there's different people we've reached out to. And yeah, man, it's, 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 it's so we're honestly, well, I think I texted you the other day. We've been so, I'm just so grateful that all these dudes are just saying yes. Like nobody's, yeah. there's been no pushback. Nobody's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. No, so far, man, everybody's been into it. No, I think the one great thing is, you know, we're talking about Central Valley sports, you know, yeah. and and I think that's what makes it so fun and impacting and so many people can relate to it. And I think that's what the best part about it is. We all, everybody loves sports here, man. And there's just not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of people covering it. Not a lot of people talking about it. No, and then, you know, it's, you don't really have, we don't really have professional teams. So, yeah. you know, it's high school sports and then you have your, you know, you have Fresno State, you have Fresno Pacific and right. We, you look here and then you go down South Cal State Bakersfield and yeah. you go really, there's not much around high school is king here yep yeah we're uh man just again thank you we're just so blessed these guys are these guys are coming on telling stories that's what i'm all about man there's a lot of stories that need to be told and we're gonna tell them oh yes yes we're yes. gonna tell those stories so we got a fun one today though we got enough fun one we uh going back to the tark era i think those and then the start of a new era yeah yeah Ray lopes and uh yeah noel felix and some great stories and I don't know many guys who decide to like, yo, I want to get out of the NBA. Yeah. He asked for his release. We'll hear about it later, but he asked for his release and went overseas and had a hall of famer begging him to stay. Yes. That's unbelievable. That is, but just unbelievable stories, man. This dude, he got to go see the world Mm -hmm. and he loved every second of it. Oh yeah. And he said he wouldn't change it. Yeah. He said he would never have changed it playing in the NBA to what he was able to do and go see and travel. And, you know, and I think also, too, what, you know, what him and his wife are doing outside of, you know, post-career. And Yeah, they're amazing. killing it right now. Got their own little clothing line going. Yes. Give culture. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, they're doing good stuff. We're actually, we're going to do a little giveaway with nice. this episode. We're going to do a little giveaway. Um, we're going to try to, you know, get some attention on the podcast Twitter account. And uh, if you follow the, just go, we just want you to go follow the Twitter, follow the account. It's at Pod Off the Bench, and retweet. You know the uh, retweet the tweet about this episode, about the Noel Felix episode, and we're gonna do a you know get some find a random drawing for do a random winner here, and we're gonna send you a, a T-shirt from Give Culture, Noel's uh, Noel's wife and Noel and his wife, and that's their line. Yep, I got me a shirt. Yeah, you um, got the give kindness. Yes, and you know it's about helping out and being a good human being, and right, everybody can relate. And Absolutely, he, he talks about a great story. Yeah, in the podcast. So yeah, I'm I'm I've known Noel for a while here now. Uh, I was able to work at the school that elementary school that his kids go to, and got to get to know him and his wife, and just great people, and just you know lucky to have them on. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Really enjoyed that conversation. So. Um, 
as you guys are listening to this, please just go follow us on Twitter at pod off the bench and give us a retweet, you know, retweet the, you know, the, the, the post about this episode and uh, we're going to draw a random winner and give away a shirt. So that'll be coming soon. We'll get in touch with you. Um, but yeah, what else is going on right now? There's a lot. There is a lot yeah, going man. on. And uh, right. We just Gavin Newsom dropped some unbelievable news. Yeah. They seem like the, was it the let them play organization finally got to a, they struck a deal with the governor and you know, last week it was football gets to play today. It's this week. It's everybody gets to play. So, yeah, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how quickly things move on and how everything can get situated. And, right, there's some things that was talked about. And it just, you know, be interested to see if, you know, those come to come to light or, you know, how all this is going to play out. Yeah, that's the thing is nobody really knows yet what, it, what it's going to look like um, with protocols and procedures and all that stuff. So who knows? I mean, it it's not 100 percent, I guess, that everything's going to happen, but uh, better news today than yesterday. So no, yeah, and that's like we've always kind of what we talked about. You know, kids just want an opportunity, yeah. and you know, those kids are finally going to get that opportunity. It seems like, or hopefully, it looks like, and especially for those kids that were that are seniors now, they you know their junior year. This is we're almost on a full calendar year. Yep. And so you know, and hopefully, you know, that's all they've wanted to, you know, be able to participate and stuff like that. And so. Yeah, it should be good. If nothing else, just a nice, you know, bright spot to end the school year. Um, seems like more and more schools are starting to talk about kids coming back. Yeah, and, you know, I know they're talking about uh, just, you know, vaccines and getting your vaccine. And, you know, I think that's helping out. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, people can stay safe. And yeah. so we can, you know, we can get back to somewhat of a normal, normal life. That's all I want is normal. That's all I want is normal. Well, in other news, we, uh, you know, Fresno State had a big game the other day. Big one. Yeah. I don't know that we saw that one coming, but they're getting better and better every day. They are. And, you know, they're a team that had a lot of transfers. They're a young team. And, yeah. you know, you didn't, they didn't really have the offseason or the summers to really get together and gel. And they got a really late start because of COVID. Yeah. And then they also missed some time for COVID. And, you know, it, they might have knocked uh, Boise State. Like, they might have knocked them out from an at-large bid, and now yeah. they're going to have to win it. And But it's always great when you see a local kid, man, when you see the local kid hit that dagger. Isaiah Hill coming up with the clutch. Bakersfield zone coming up with the clutch. You know, three at the – not at the buzzer, but at the end of the game to win it, game winner. Yep. That was big time. Kids uh, kids doing big things. He gets, He's, you know, the team's getting better and better, but Isaiah's getting better and better too. No, and that's what's that's what's I think so exciting about this Fresno State team is just the local the local ties. Yep, we've talked about it before, but they're fun to watch. And then uh, Fresno Pacific going undefeated in the NorCal Pod. Yeah, and have the like I think if they can win out, talking with Coach Haydock, if they can win out, they might be able to get into the the tournament, the regional tournament, because wow. they're not having a conference tournament this year. Okay, but they might be able to get into that. Uh, regional tournament which is kind of it's like the you know it's a division two tournament yeah so hopefully they can get in and right you got uh we we got coleman who's now number three all time yeah and then uh adrian antunez who's now fifth all time number five 
And from the looks of it, they're going to get another. It looks like they're going to be coming back for another year. That's what I was going to ask you Those about. Those kids are yeah. easily going to be one and two. Yeah. They're easily going to be one and two on that list. Um, and that's, you know, that's exciting. Not only the season they're having, the turnaround they're having. And, you know, CJ is able to build that thing from scratch and to get it where it's at. And But, yeah, to you know, to have those two kids that you recruited and for to see them possibly going to be one and two. and Yeah. And to see the success that they're having, it's exciting. Yeah, it was cool to see those uh, those posts go up that they were moving up the leaderboards there. There were some fun videos guys were posting. Yeah, uh, some old some old alumni. So I was thanking it, and then uh, Tompkins. Tompkins, yes, best video. That was best awesome. Video. I was dying. I was dying. That was funny. So, all right. Well, we got Noel today. I think you guys are gonna love this one. I know I've never I'd never met the guy before, but uh, he's I think he's one of my favorite people now. Oh, he's good people. Yeah, good he's people. a good dude. So. Think you're really gonna like this one. Remember, follow us on Twitter off pod off the at pod off the bench, and uh, give us a retweet, and we'll get you, we're gonna get somebody a t-shirt. So good stuff. Here we go, episode five. Noel Felix. For this one, we got a special I'm guest. I'm ready. We got Mr. Noel Felix, former Bulldog kid out of LA. We're going to talk some basketball here. How are we doing, Noel? I'm doing well, man. Thank you guys for having me. I look forward to just talking and sharing a little bit of my history. Absolutely. That's what we're all about. Just telling some stories, having reliving the good old days, you know? And uh, yeah, so. Appreciate you having on, Noel. It's uh, got to know you these last couple years, uh, especially. Yeah. With your uh, littles being at Clovis Elementary, the school I worked at, I'm that a little, is right, yes, I'm, sir. I'm a little disappointed I don't get to coach uh, your son in basketball this year, but yeah, you know I was looking forward to coaching him, but you know had other plans. I heard he's also uh, he's playing football. Heard he tried yeah, out for he's, football he's, this year. He, yeah, he's trying out for football right now because he's always wanted to play, and he he really idolizes his big brother. So because his brother's playing football in Central as a freshman, he wanted to go try and play at Clovis Elementary. And I told him, that's fine. You can go out there. And I would hope he plays basketball eventually. <laughs> but, you know, because he's a big kid. He he's is. He's about 5'4", 10-year-old. He is. 5'4". So um, I think he's going to be seven feet. And I would prefer for him to be on a basketball court than on the field. So. Hey, Willie Cauley-Stein, I just want to throw that out there. He was an mm-hmm. all-state receiver. Mm-hmm. He did play both. And obviously – He's doing well in the NBA as well. So yeah, yeah. That's, yep. that's a pretty I mean, big wide receiver at seven foot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, older than him, LeBron James was a wide receiver. Yep. Um, Allen Iverson was a good quarterback, I yeah. believe. And they're all great NBA players. So I agree with that as well. <laughs> all right. So first off, right, you you went to the infamous Inglewood High. I did, yes. <laughs> the infamous Inglewood High. How yep. like, my thing is, how do you end up at Fresno State? How does Southern California with all those talented schools down there, yeah. how do you end up at Fresno State? So that's a great question, man. So um, my senior year, you know, I was one of the top power fours coming out of California. And um, my recruiting, the, the top five schools, it was Tennessee, Oregon, Oregon State, Cincinnati, and Fresno State. And um, at the time, Steve Lavin was the head coach of UCLA. And so, you know, I got word that he was a person that a lot of people, it was they were on the fence about playing with him. And then at USC, it was Henry Bibby. Yes. And so 
I didn't really care to go to USC because it was like walking distance from my house. So I didn't want to go there. I didn't think I would go to class if I went to USC. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> I was sense. like, man, if I, if I stay too close. So, and then I love Tark. I always knew Tark. And then I also saw the documentary, the 60 Minutes documentary, and I knew that it hurt recruiting here. And so at the time, I um, was talking to one of my friends at the time. He was at university, he was at Compton High School, Tito Maddox. Oh, yes. And he was committed to UConn. And so I talked to Tito, and I was leaning towards Tennessee. But the thing with Tennessee at the time, the girls' basketball team was way better than their men's basketball team. So we wouldn't be big dogs on campus either. Pat Summit. Yeah. And so um, Coach Green was the coach at the time. And so for me, I talked to him. He said, man, you know, I'll go to Fresno State. And I was like, well, it's still in Cali, so I'll go too. And so um, Coach Tarkey recruited me with his son, Danny Tarkanian. And, uh, you know, I also was leaning towards Oregon, Oregon State. And I uh, just was like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to stay in California. And um, my sister just had her daughter. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to stay close because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be far enough away to get, you know, that distance. And if it's an emergency, I'm close enough to go back. And so um, then Cincinnati with Huggins, it was Kenny Satterfield. It was myself and DeMar Johnson. And so um, DeMar was like the number one draft pick or the number not draft pick. He was the number one recruiter in the country at the time. He was like Lamar Odom. He was like Lamar Odom. That's how they... When they would say he was recruited, he was like the Lamar Odom of our of our our class, '99. And so, um, I picked Coach Tark, and it was uh, it was really one of the best decisions I ever made at that point because I played with great players. Um, Courtney Alexander led the nation in scoring and never went to the free throw line, and then we also <laughs> made it to the tournament for the first time since 1984, something like that. So it was an amazing experience, and. Um, I, I was super proud to play for him. And then when he ended up leaving, you know, I almost redshirted. I almost redshirted. And I decided to um, stay because we were senior. We had so many seniors that year and we had a chance to be really, really good. And so I stayed. I didn't redshirt. And that's how I ended up playing with Coach Lopes. And that ended up being a pretty good situation. And we also, we won the WAC conference, but we ended up getting sanctioned that year because oh. of some, some nonsense that happened. And that hurt, that hurt me being able to get exposure because, you know, we didn't have a lot of exposure. The WAC conference doesn't have a lot of exposure, like the higher power schools, the yeah. SEC, yeah. the SEC conferences, the, the power ACC, five schools, you know, yeah. yeah, the power fives and those conferences are really good. So, that's how that happened, you know, with me. And um, then I had to, you know, obviously make some decisions in that situation, in that process. But yeah, between high school and going to going to Fresno State, um, it was a, it was one of the best decisions I, I ever made. I was super, even looking back now, the way full circle that I'm here, I'm super happy that I, that's where I chose, and I've been able to benefit from that to this day, just about. Yeah, I, I find that a lot. A lot of times, guys come into, you know, they come into Fresno State from out of town, and a lot of those dudes, like yourself, wind up staying here, just deciding it's a good mm -hmm. place, good place to raise the family, and yeah, uh, you find that a lot actually. Now, how about those old Inglewood teams? Were those, uh, what were, how good were those teams? So when I was in Inglewood, we uh, we were always really, really good. 
in our conference, or, or not our conference, but our, our, our city, it was very easy. Um, we had this policy. We had to beat teams by 30 and keep them under 40. So we were very high defensively. Like we would fly all over the place, block shots were on the floor. And just like I had to shoot a very high percentage because all I did was dunk. I just ran the floor and dunk every single time, you know. <laughs> and so it was just fun because we had a good point guard. We had good wings. One of my teammates, Chris Sandy, he ended up playing football for USC. But we had good um, – we had we had all the way around. We were just loaded as a team, and then my senior year, we ended up uh, we were in the CIF championship, and we lost to Mayfair. They had Josh Childress, oh, and they had uh, yeah, they had another cat named um, Andre, who's a close friend of mine now. He was a shooter, and so that game was heartbreaking because we <laughs> we were winning, we were winning, and then we went to the bench, and then Josh Childress just got hot, and I think that that game really put him on another level because he made – we came back in the game and it was like – it was just him in the basket, man. And so we, it was nothing we could do to stop him. And we ended up losing that game. And um, I think that took him to an entire new level, entirely new level. But, uh, again, we were at the pond, Anaheim Pond, and, you know, everybody played at the pond in Southern California when you play for CIF. So it was a fond memory, man, but – Talking to my buddy when he introduces me when I'm with him, he always says, "Yeah, we beat them for the CIF championship." <laughs> <laughs> You're never <laughs> gonna live that one down. Yeah, never ever, man, never. So but, no, uh, no, it was it was good times. So I haven't. You just said you guys had to win by thirty and keep them under forty, right? At Inglewood. Mm-hmm. So I have an Inglewood story. So my junior year, we're playing Inglewood. Did you guys ever come to Fresno for like the BCW when you were in high school? Uh, I think so. I think so. So, yeah. So we played, if I can remember, we played Clovis West. Okay. And we had Paul Pierce in the stands yelling at the refs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my junior year, we played Inglewood, and they had uh, D'Angelo Collins was a – Oh, yeah. He was on that yep. team. Uh, their point guard, I believe, was like Jason McKinney or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So talking about keeping him under 40, that is probably the worst beatdown I have ever gotten in my basketball career. We lost. I'll never wow. forget the score. We lost ninety nine to thirty nine. Ouch! Wow. I tell you what. When I was on campus at uh, Inglewood, he was the new man on campus. He just came on campus, so we were on campus together for a little bit. Okay. And I was excited to see what he was able to do. Yeah, I yeah. he he almost so. I remember vividly after that game, people coming up to our coach and asking to get the film because of the dunks that they had. Like mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, they were, it was just, it was just a highlight reel. And yeah. I, he almost put me on a poster, but I was quick and agile enough to sprint to the corner to get out of that way. But <laughs> yeah, I got you. So that's my, that's my Inglewood story. Um, mm. But okay. So you're at Fresno state, right? So you yep. come in as a freshman, right? Mm-hmm. You come in as yep. a freshman, right? You got to, you talked about playing with like Courtney Alexander Right, mm-hmm. uh, Demetrius Porter, Melvin Eli. He also came in same year as Travis Demamby, talking about shooters. Yep. And yep. right, your freshman year, you come in, you guys make it to the NCAA tournament, like you said. Yeah. Right, you're you guys get knocked out in the first round. Your sophomore year, you make it mm-hmm. back again. So you're in college yep. your first two years, and you're just like, I'm going to the NCAA tournament yeah. every year. That's normal life. So yeah, so so my freshman year, um, again, that was a special year because we made it to the tournament for the first time in a long time. But at the same time, like I played with so many great individual players, 
Like I remember um, Larry Abney, who's uh, working with the Clippers now. He uh, we played against SMU, and they had a guy named Gerald Sasser who went to the Orlando Magic with the fro. And, with yeah, the fro, Gerald Sasser. Mm-hmm. And then they had another guy. I can't remember his name. It'll come to me later. But uh, he played with the Clippers for a while under Dunleavy, and um, he was really good. But SMU had a great team, and so um, we were in the Southern Arena, and Larry Abney had 35. And like 22. And everybody would say, oh, man, he had 35 points and 22 rebounds. That's crazy. We're like, no, he had 35 rebounds yes. and like 22 points or something like that. So yeah, I think it's so still playing, like an NCAA record for like the last 50 yeah, years. Or yeah, something. he was he was he was incredible. And so um, he was just a machine. And then I learned to train with him my freshman year. We would lift weights in this gym that looked like a Rocky training montage where <laughs> you would just be in there, the lights are dim and he's just power cleaning and I'm in there with him and coach Welsh. And I just learned how to work hard watching him do that day in and day out. So that's how he was able to dominate rebounding so much. And, um, but then just, that was him. And then I had Demetrius Porter who was already, I mean, in high school, he was already special. Yes. But then to, to, to be, you know, a local kid playing in the area who a guy who I also talked to every now and then, cause he had my son for a little bit, like you mentioned yeah. earlier, he, uh, he was always a really good player. Um, man, Melvin Eli was super special. I, I was, I was able to attend his, um, hall of fame, not just for, um, Fresno, but for the city of Fresno, like oh, not just nice. Fresno state, the city, he became a hall of famer for the County. And, um, and he went in there with a lot of awesome, amazing people. Jackie White, I think, got in at that time. Um, it's just uh, really, it was really amazing to see. And then Courtney, Courtney was just at that time, and, and you know, my my class in high school playing basketball, there was a lot of good players. Um, Gilbert Arenas was really, really good in L.A. Um, there was a guy named Marky Poole who went to Washington. And then outside of the country, it was a lot, outside of the states, outside of California, there was a lot of great players. But Courtney was the best player I ever played with at that point in my in my basketball career. Like I never saw someone consistently dominant like that and shoot the basketball and get up off the ground that high and be incredibly athletic and, and he was strong. So I learned a lot watching him and see his success and, and I was able to benefit from that. But um him and Terrence Roberson, you know, I think he was a four time all state in De- in um in Michigan. And he was another player that just was just very, very talented basketball players. Yeah, wasn't he like three-time Parade All-American or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah three-time Parade All-American. There you go. Yep. Yeah. yeah he's uh, he's well-known and um, just very, very, very good. I mean, even Nick Urban was very talented on that team. And his he come from a basketball family in Chicago. Yep. Uh, and then Tito Maddox. Tito Maddox, man, in a short amount of time, our sophomore year, because he was uh, – he was a big reason why we were in the preseason. We were looked at as a top 10 team because of him. And he came in that season, our sophomore year, he averaged a triple double for like a week or something like that. And in college, that's like unheard of back then, especially he just played like Jason Kidd. He played like Jason Kidd at the point guard position. And, um, you know, his story ended up being what it is. But, but at that time, man, he was, he was, uh, one of the better players that I've ever played with also because my freshman year, he was ineligible, which is why he didn't play. Cause I was a freshman. Travis was a freshman and 
Tito was also the freshman on that team, but he was ineligible that year, our freshman year. So that's an unbelievably long list of just un- yeah. like the best players the Fresno's you know ever mm-hmm. seen. That, that's wild. Yeah, it was priceless. It was priceless. So, so if because you talked about a little bit earlier about you and Tito Maddox mm-hmm. talking together, so if if you don't. Are, were you guys like almost like, hey, like we're going to do this together, like package deal, come to Fresno? Or like how did that well, kind of work out? It wasn't necessarily a package deal, but I did talk to him about coming here because he said he wanted to come. And I was like, man, I'll just play with you then. Because I already – in L.A., you know each other yeah. already. Because he was with Jeff Trepanier, and, and, and Jeff was also, you know, super-duper athletic. But when you have a good point guard, it makes you look twice as good. Just like, you know, you look at the Chris Pauls of the world. Yes. You look at the Jason Kids of the world, those guys that can get to the basket. And if you go to help, all that other other power forward or that big, they just got to get ready to go get it. And they just dunking on you left and right. And so that was something that we had because we're so athletic, you know, especially my sophomore year with Shannon Swillis, who was also a great basketball player who transferred back from USC. Yep. Chris Jeffries, who transferred back from Arkansas, yep. who was with who was with he was with uh, Joe. Joe Johnson in um at Arkansas. But yeah, we were just it was just we we're so athletic. And um we had we also had Chris Sandy who passed away. Rest in peace, Chris Sandy. He was a guard from New York and he was very good too. The shooter, he could control the tempo. We had so many good players, man. And um also Mustafa. Yes, great shot, great shot blocker. Great shot blocker, young. Um just a complete workhorse. And it's, it's so cool. Like the full circles, I've got a chance to play with him again later on in my career as a professional and uh, just talking to him and reminiscing. I was happy that I had a chance to do that in my, out of my 12 year career. But um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I feel incredibly fortunate, man. And um, even my senior year, we had a, a, a different group per se with Damon Jackson and Reynaldo major and Travis, we had Travis Steele. He was still with me. And you had Fuller, um, right? We had Big Hiram, who was my roommate. Because <laughs> my sophomore year, Tito was my roommate. Okay. And it, my, my freshman year was Melvin and myself and Rick, his buddy Rick. And then it was – my sophomore year was me and Tito. My junior year was me and Hiram. So, um, yeah, man, Hiram was uh, – Hiram was special because he could have went to the NBA out of junior college. Oh, and wow. he chose to come to Fresno State. So that just lets you know he already had his name. He was already on the map because he was so dominant at, I think, Wabash Community College, something like that, if I can remember. But, yeah, I, I really, I really, really feel fortunate. And I felt like we – I had so much confidence in my team. I felt like we could lace them up against anybody in the country. But the teams in the country were legit. I mean, Duke was incredibly dominant with Boozer and Jason yeah. at the point and, and Dunleavy Jr. Like, they were super dominant. And then you also but, had like what Michigan State in like 2000, right with Mateen Cleese, oh Mo God. Pete. Michigan State, uh, Mo P. You had Arizona. Oh, but yes. the thing too, our trips to the tournament, my sophomore year and my freshman year, both years, the teams that beat us went to the Final Four. Wisconsin went to the Final Four with Duaney Duaney, the the, the oh, shooter. Yes. And then that Michigan tapes, that Michigan State team with Zach and. Allen and yeah. they went to the, the Marks Taylor. They went to the Final Four. If you just get so, put um, in any that other, says a lot. you just get put in any other bracket. You could be in the Final Four with them. Man, I don't know <laughs> if we would have made it to the Final Four, but but it was just another level. Like yeah. 
the way the way Michigan State played, it was just another level, man. Because my freshman year when we lost to um, to Wisconsin, they just scouted Courtney really, really well. And it's like, you know, you got that one night. It's, it's, it's March Madness. You got that one night. They scouted him really well, and then that was it. But my sophomore year, when we lost to Michigan State, they just won a different level. Because Jason Richardson was he was he was unreal, and um, they just played at a pace where we're like, yeah, they they rocking and rolling. So, you know, I was happy to say that the team that beat us at least went to the Final Four <laughs> both times. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I got a quick question. You talked about all these different bigs, right? All these different yeah. bigs you bat. Like, what was practice like going up against those guys on a daily basis? Uh, practice was where, uh, where I was able to get a lot of my confidence because there were some nights where we would play people that were not as talented as our team, clearly. And so, um, and I mean, all four years, even my senior year, um, we had some battles. And um, that's where I, I gained my confidence and I got a lot of respect from the my teammates because I came in and it was like, okay, he's his freshman. It was like, oh, he really could play a little bit, you know, and we can use him here and use him there. And um, it was really the process of finding where you fit in because I remember my, my, uh, my senior year, I remember watching Carmelo Anthony and um, he was a senior, he was a freshman at Syracuse. And they won the championship that year. But he was so – I was always amazed at how light your head mentally he was because I had so many seniors and I was learning under them and I was getting groomed. And he just went to Syracuse and it was like a party. <laughs> they were really, really good. So just to look at him and have that kind of mindset as a freshman, knowing what you have to deal with and adjust to, it just made me appreciate how good he was as a freshman in Syracuse. And then looking at myself as a freshman here, just trying to be a sponge with all these guys that are NBA talents. Like it was really cool to be a part of and see. So I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't take anything for granted and all the stuff that I've learned from all the guys that I played with, like a lot of stuff they taught me was in practice. Like we had pickup games and it was like, it was war. It was wars. And then Nick Irvin get to talk in. And, and it's so funny when I think about that, it was like that in the NBA also. Like, oh, man, the battles were just so fun. And, and um, it's where you just love what you do. And um, I got that from Fresno State. That's awesome. At the same time, don't forget, Carmelo had Jerry McNamara, who hit six threes in the first half to win that national championship. And you can't sleep That's on a Akeem Wark. And you can't sleep on a Akeem Wark either. Akeem Mark was very bouncy, <laughs> very bouncy. But no, that team was really yeah, good. No, they were, yeah, there's three they were freshmen amazing. too. That's what's crazy about that. People forget those. Yeah, are those they three. were amazing. They um, were amazing, man. Now you got to play. Uh, you were lucky enough to play for Tark. Obviously, we've talked about Tark. Mm-hmm. What? That's a obviously a legendary era in in Fresno sports. It had its yeah. up. It had its ups and downs. But we get what are what's your I want to hear like your what's your favorite Tark story? You know, I I know you you got to have some of those, some of those Tark moments. I got, I got so many Tark stories, man. <laughs> and um, one of the things about Tark that I really loved is that he loved me. Hmm. And um, you know, I one of my biggest issues in college, if I can go back, I wish I knew how to play without getting in foul trouble, hmm. because I always had this issue where I was so athletic, but then I would get in foul trouble and I couldn't play. But then in practice, right, if I'm not – if there's no – you don't call out of practice. So yeah. <laughs> I get to really show out. And then 
every time he's like, I got to find a way to play you more. I got to find a way to play you more. And I always drew confidence from that. But it wasn't him not being able to play me more. It would, I, would get, I, was, I would get in foul trouble. So I'm like, I got to find a way to stay on the floor. And as I got older, I learned how to do that. But when I was young, like, I had to learn how to not go for the pump fake. Or I had to learn how to trust my athleticism and my second jump and jump it straight up, you know. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I, I know that young players now might not agree, but refs are not necessarily against you. You know what I mean? Refs are just refs. And um, that was something that I had to learn, you know. But Tark, man, this guy, like, I like when he used to tell me stories about Long Beach State. And he used to tell me stories about UNLV. And, um, you know, he he was always very present with me. Um, I always try to pick his brain. He just he just shares, like, the funniest stories about guys that this guy, no one can guard him. He makes shots and he fall into the stands and it's like, and it's like a little kid, like eating popcorn, like watching the, watching this guy give a presentation. And so I always, I always remember those moments, but, but, um, st- crazy stuff happened to talk too. Like I remember one time we were in SMU and Terrence Robinson threw a chest pass and it hit him square in the face. <laughs> we thought, I thought he was going to, I was like, that's it. We, we about to lose our coach right now. <laughs> but he got up, he had a little, Marco's nose, and I was like, "Oh my god, that just happened!" <laughs> he just hit him in the face. Just wipe it off with that towel. Just wipe it yeah, off with that towel. Like, like, like the craziest stuff happened to him, man. And um, no, but he, he was just a person that I um, I'll put it like this: he was he's my favorite coach to this day. Mm. He's a, he's my the favorite. My if I say who was the best coach I ever played for, he was the best coach I ever played for because he cared about his players so much, man. And and it made me feel like okay, I left L.A. to come do this. This guy has my back. You know what I mean? Like, I, I trusted him. And I think that that's something that a lot of players, unfortunately, I don't think can say. But I'm definitely one that can say that. That's awesome. Were you able to be there when they brought him back a couple of years ago at Fresno State? When they, they I wasn't. I, I, just moved back, I just moved back about three and a half years okay. ago. But I wasn't here for that. But I tell you this, we, um, I live in San Diego because that's where my wife is from. And... Um, this dude, man, I'd bump into him because he spent his summers in San Diego, and I'd catch up with him there, and we'd talk there. Nice, you know, and uh, and to feel like, like I, I'm, I'm, I'll be forty this year, and to see a man that lived twice the lifetime I have lived, almost from a basketball standpoint, and then have a conversation with him, like to say I, f- I played for him was one thing, but I still felt honored to be around him. You know what I mean? And it's like. It almost felt like I couldn't believe that I played for him because it was so far later. And, um, yeah, I saw him and we talked and he was, you know, you could tell he was getting older and he's a little different. And um, it was just priceless. But even after he passed, when Danny Tarkana would come into town in San Diego, he would call me and we'd go meet up and I'd talk to him and his wife and we'd talk about the past. Because it's funny, i tell you, the first time I met Danny, um, he lived – on knees at the complexes over there off knees and Herndon. Okay. And um, the day I met him, it was the same day our women's national team, our soccer team, where the girl took her shirt off. Oh, yeah. oh yes, yeah. yes. I met Brandy, him. That, Brandy Chastain. Yeah. Yeah, we watched it on his TV. <laughs> that was the day I met Danny Tarkanian. Hmm, that's Like awesome. all the recruiting and talking, and that day it was like, oh, wow, she took her shirt off. And then it became a thing 
in 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 soccer for about at least a decade. Yes, <laughs> everybody did it all over the world. So it was really cool to to see and um, be a part of with him. But it, it's a fun memory to, that that happened when I was talking to him for the first time in person. But um, yeah, man, Tark is yeah he he he's he's the guy for me. Yeah, even me, even Michi was saying that uh, you know, uh, he's he's spent some time with Danny Tarkanian after after Jerry passed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's good, good family to keep in touch with. So yeah. what? So you right? So you have that transition. You go from mm-hmm. coaching with Tark, and and then all of a sudden you get you know the new coach Ray Lopes. Yeah, like what was that? You know what was that like? Right, like you go from so. Mm-hmm. You know, you go from losing Tarkanian, the guy you just, you know, you think extremely highly of, and then all of a sudden, you know, and I know you talked a little bit about you were thinking about redshirting. Yeah. You know, like how was that transition? So, so uh, my 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 sophomore year, um, I got wind that I was uh, uh, Doherty, Coach Doherty at North Carolina. He wanted me to transfer and go play for him. Um, I got wind of it. How do you and, get wind um, of that? I, I just, I just want to know how do you get wind uh, of that. If I can remember, if I can remember correctly, man, it was uh, NC two A. Don't listen to this. So it, it was from my high. It was from my high school. It was from my high school. Uh, my high school. Some people from high school. They're like, man, you no, know, you if you want to go, because he recruited me to go to Notre Dame in high okay. school, and uh, he got the job at North Carolina, and. Um, I forgot how I heard about it, but I ended up not transferring. And um, <laughs> I think that was like one of their worst years ever. They, they had like 13 <laughs> losses. <laughs> they had like 13 losses. It was something crazy. But then they got um, David Noel. They got Carew. They Then they they turned back up. But um, he wasn't the head coach when they did that. I think Roy came back. Yeah. But um, um, no, I, um, I was thinking when I was going to redshirt or sit out or even maybe transfer – I would have probably went to North Carolina, but I chose to stay because, I mean, again, we were a senior head. We had Damon Jackson. We had Hiram Fuller. We had Travis Demambi and myself. And so, and then also Moose too. But um, I was like, man, I'll stay from, for my teammates. And when Lopes came in, I understood that um, I heard quickly. Cause like the first thing he told me, I had my hat on and he's like, take your hat off. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is what we do, right? <laughs> so in my mind, in my mind, right? And um, he he had a mentality like Coach Simpson at Oklahoma. Yes. He had that mentality. And to me, you can't expect anything else because that's what that's what he was he was successful. Because Oklahoma was always at least a top 15, the top 10 team every year. And so um, and their conference is legit. You know, they'd be in fights, they'll be in fights with Oklahoma State. Halftime come, it'll be like 14 to 12, and they just fought the whole first 20 minutes. So I um I learned to embrace that mentality. But we also he also brought an amazing coaching staff too. Cause I connected really well with Coach Fisdale. And um, you know, because he's San Diego State and he's a Southern California cat. So we related a lot. And um he always talked to me about how good I was. And there were certain things that Lopes showed me to show me where I am. And it was like analytics before analytics or something like that. But he did these things. And he's like, look, you have the same impact in the game like Eduardo Nahara. So I want you to focus on that. And so, um, you know, he just found ways to motivate me and um, 
he had his way of doing things. And I, I respected him and I uh, tried to do the best I can for him and for our team. Uh, but he, he wasn't Tark, but he, he had his own way of doing things. And we, we definitely all adapted to it and we were able to be successful because of it. He was in a tough spot too. Ray Lopes coming mm-hmm. in, you know, you always, they mm-hmm. always say you never want to be the guy replacing the legend. You want to be the guy replacing the guy that replaced the legend. Right. So he was, right. he had a, that was, those were tough shoes to fill coming in. But yeah. And yeah. then obviously it didn't weigh, end well with the Ray Lopes era, mm-hmm. but it was yeah. good there for a little bit. Um, it was, it was. Would you have, right? Cause you, your senior year, that's when you guys found out about the sanctions and, you know, different things mm-hmm. like that. My question yeah. would be is if you knew about the sanctions earlier, do you stay at Fresno State or do you go transfer to a place where you can, you know, try to get back and then make that tournament run again? Um, if, I mean, if it depends on your support system, because if you have a support system and people telling you what's best for you at that age, you probably listen to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I would have, if I was advised to leave, I would have left because you you don't realize how important that is. You know, you don't realize how big that opportunity is. And um, the tournament is almost a break and break. If you want to be a, if you want to be a professional in this, in this business, you need all the opportunities you can possibly have. And so like, to me, if I had the advice to leave, I would have left. Um, but I had so much invested here too. It makes sense to stay because basketball is, at that at that at that stage, it's the passion. It's not the business, but now it's more about the business because now you can be seen if you're good at a young age. So you go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. If, for lack of a better way to put it, you know what I mean. No, yeah. And um, I think that that's for me. Again, back then, um, if I knew that we wouldn't get that opportunity, it would be hard to stay because, you know. I think that I invested so much and I gave everything because I was here all four years and to not be able to do that for something that was completely out of our control. I think a lot of that had to do with how NC Toy felt about coach Tark. You know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. And it probably goes back to like the NLV days and stuff like that Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. 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 Because you know, when they did the outside the lines thing on 60 minutes, um, I, I know that Tark, he had to sue the situation because of that. You know what I mean? And um, it hurt recruiting in a major way for our school. So I think that that's something that will never really change. And, um, you know, people are starting to push back against SC2A because SC2A has this mentality that it's just business as usual. And they have these standards. And now they're getting that pushback, you know, with the way the NBA has created a pathway for Jalen Green, a local kid. You know he's gonna be able to live his he's gonna be able to live his dreams and um, he is fine with his path. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So and also, it's funny, Coach Farr, Chris Farr was one of our coaches at Fresno State. He is Jalen Green's coach for his team in the G League. Oh, that's awesome. Small world, right? It is. It is. All right. <laughs> yeah, I talked to him. Mm-hmm. No, go go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your story. No, I was just saying I talked to him okay. like last week, but no, that's fine. What wasn't it? Tark that used to say back in the day. He, I think he had a saying that was like. You know, Duke or Kentucky, they'll get in trouble, but they're going to come punish Fresno State for it. Yeah, he had that take on it because and, – and it goes back even further than that. It goes back to UCLA and it goes back to Lou Alcindor. Hmm. Um, you know, um, you get a player like that and you want to put them in the best position to succeed without any pushback. 
So those are the things that Tark viewed because, again, this guy's been around for generations of basketball. His argument came from even before you went up, even before you went up, even before all, like, way, yeah. Nobody way wants back. to talk about how those UCLA players are paid for. Nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about with John Wood and how he got all those players. That's a that's a whole other podcast for that. But, yeah. Yeah, well, the thing, with, the thing with it from what I learned is that it was like, I believe Mr. Wooden, Coach Wooden, he had a gentleman that was yes. like, you do your part, I'll do my part. Yes. And um, and they won. And his players were happy. You know what I mean? So, you know, with Tark, I think that, you know, his mentality, his heart was in the right place. He just, he cared about his players and his compassion and his, his, uh, his grace for us was great. You know, and they always talk about he's a second chance guy, but you know, he finds ways to bring out the best of players. I mean, he brought out the best of me, you know, and I think that um, without him, I wouldn't have been able to have the confidence that I had at the time, at that time. So yeah, he, I'm thankful for him. He got burned, you know, obviously got burned a few times by guy, giving guys too many chances. But for the most part, a, yeah. a, lot, of, a lot of guys yeah. came through for it. A lot of it was successful, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of them were successful, and they give a lot of credit to him as they should, as they should. Okay, so, right, you leave Fresno State, right? You were undrafted. Talk about mm-hmm. your your professional path. So, um, oh, God, Griff, Griffin, Griffin. Uh, he was the GM for the – he was the GM for the Cavaliers when they won it with LeBron. Well, David Griffin, yeah, who's now Pelicans, Griffin. right? Griff. So, my draft day, um, my I signed – so, it's a crazy story, man. So I go play ball with uh, only one agent came and like, no, actually it was more than one, but an agent came and he laid out this plan for me. And I met with him at Ray Lopes house. And I was like, the guy came over here. So I'm in <laughs> like, I'm in. <laughs> so he came over, he laid out this plan for me. And he said, in three years, I'll put you in the NBA three years. Give me three years. And um, I did. I made it. In, I made it in the NBA in three years. However, he, uh, his name is Todd Lee. He's out of Arizona. I don't know if he's agent now, but we still talk every now and then. He was a, he was a great dude, a very cool agent. Um, so he was also the general manager for the Denver Nuggets in the nineties. I think, I think he was part of drafting LaFonso Ellis okay. way back when. Okay. So, um, he had, he signed me, he signed one of my buddies, uh, Tommy Smith from Arizona state. And he signed Don Knight. He also had Alex Scales. He had um, he had Alex Scales. He had Michael Batiste, and then he had his biggest client was Richard Jefferson. Oh, nice! And so, um, and so we had a uh, yeah. He was a great agent, man. And he um, he put me in success, positions to be successful, and he had a plan to where I would play it overseas, and then play in the minor league, so I can get NBA. Because that now in China, a lot of American coaching is there. Yeah. But back then it was just Chinese coaches. So I would go play overseas and then I would try to play in the minor league to get the coaching. And um, it was a formula. So like my first my first opportunity, I went to the Phoenix Suns. And um, at the time, Mike D'Antoni was very close. We were very close. And he recommended me to play. Um, he, re- he recommended I play in Italy. He's like, go play in Italy. I loved Italy and this and that. And I was like, okay. Sounds good, but my ambition and my goal was to make an imprint to see what they wanted to do with me. So they lined me up against a lot of guys. Uh, Baby Shaq was there from Greece, 
And um, I played really well against all of them. Like I, I, I they did this one thing where they had me tap the backboard. Then they wanted to check my hand because they're like, I guess I touched it high enough for you to want to check my hand. <laughs> so they had all these little drills, you know. And then I just, I just, everybody in front of me, I just, it was just me in a basket. I, I had to really outplay over and over and over and over. So I'm on the phone with Griff. He was, a, he was the GM at the time for Phoenix. And uh, he said the goal was to take me in the bottom of the first round or early in the second round of the NBA draft, 2000 NBA draft, LeBron's okay. class, D-Wade. So I'm on the phone with Griff, and um, they said, we're trying to get a point guard, and then we're going to try to get you. I said, okay, cool. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm watching the draft. No big deal. I'm just chilling. Like, I didn't have a party or nothing. I, I wasn't – that wasn't my thing, right? And so um, I'm looking at the draft, and they drafted Jarko Kaparkapak. I was like, Ooh. okay. Jarko Kaparkapak. He he was like a swing, like a big guy. Like a 6'9", uh, thin. Like, they drafted him. Like he like a stretch but four? I, like one of those like foreign stretch fours like before was, the time? Or? I, yeah, you can say that. Yeah, you can say that. You can say that. You was he say Fran Fraschilla, stretch four, who couldn't stretch the floor yet? You can say that, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, so they, but, but in my mind, they needed a point guard still. So I was like, oh, uh, I don't know, I don't know. So then the second pick, they draft Leandro Barbosa. Oh, the blur. And so I was like, oh, okay. So they got their two draft picks. So then they were like, um, just, you know, come, try to come to camp. But then I was like, okay, I don't really know. Because if I go to camp, there's no guarantee. So they, And at the time, I think the only person that was trying to guarantee it was uh, uh, Dallas Mavericks. Because he took care of his players on times 10. <laughs> you had okay. to play to keep your contract there. <laughs> you don't play to earn it, especially at that level. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, they said that. And then uh, the offer in China came up for me to play for the Shanghai Sharks. And so the Shanghai Sharks, they just finished winning the championship because Yao Ming was there. Okay. Yao Ming won the championship for the Shanghai Sharks. And then he came and played with um, the Rockets the year before. Wait, hold on. With so the I'm Yao like, Ming, they also had like an American guard on that team with the I Shanghai. I think so. Right, who was pretty so. talented. I think he like might have played in the league as well, or like had. I remember like yeah, there was like a good American on that team as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he played in the league, but they okay. had a they had a national team point guard. His name was Li Wei, and he was really good. Okay, and he played on a national team in China for a long time, and so all that stuff was going on. And so I was like, man, I'm gonna go there. So I went there, and I played for a little bit, and then I liked it, but it was um, it was a different pace. And it was a grown man thing. So I did as much as I can. And then I came home and then I played in, uh, I played in, uh, it was a really cool experience. I played in um, Idaho Stampede in the CBA and I played for Larry Kostoviak. Oh yeah. I played for Larry. He's and at so, Utah, um, right? The Utah coach? He's at Utah. Yes. And he played with the Bulls with Mike, you know, he had a little role yeah. with MJ. So I got a chance to coach play with him and he was really, really cool, man. And, um, uh, I had a good role on the team and I just kept getting better and better and better. And then I did the same formula. So then that summer league, I did a summer league. I killed that. And that's where I saw um, Seattle. I saw Seattle that summer league, I think, if I can remember correctly. And so um, that summer I did, no, that summer I was with the Spurs. I was with the Spurs, yep. Because I trained with um, Tim Duncan because he was getting ready for the Olympics. 
So I was able to train with Tim Duncan for a while in the summer. And that was a cool experience too. And so um, after that, then I went to Italy and played like Mike and Tony told me to. Then I came back and played in Yakima. So that's how I did it. I'd play overseas, get a little coin, come home, get the American coaching, and then do summer league. So after that year, that was my second year pro. That's when I played with the Sonics and I played really, really well. Like I was one of the best players in the summer league. And they were like, you got to come to camp. Like we can't, we can't let you leave. (laughs) So I went to camp with the Sonics and they were like, okay, we're going to have to move some stuff around, but don't leave, stay here and we'll pick you up. And so that year I stayed in the minor league. And then I got called up to Seattle during a trade. They traded Reggie Evans to Denver. They traded Vladimir Bonavich to the Lakers. I ended up getting called up, and they sent, I think, Flip Murray somewhere else too because I was with them in training camp. Okay. And then um, they made the trades, and then the rest is history. That's when I got my, my NBA run. So you got like for the most part, you got to live out, I, I would say, probably every kid's basketball dream, right? Like you got 100%. to play in the NCAA tournament. Right. Every kid mm-hmm. dreams. Every kid dreams as a little kid watching March Madness playing the NCAA tournament. You got yep. to do that. Then you got to play. Yep. Right. Like you got to play in the NBA and you got to play with Jesus Shuttlesworth. I like, did. Yeah. You know, like uh, and, 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 and the athletic dude, Jesus man, Shuttlesworth, have, too. Like he wasn't just a shooter then, too. Like yeah. people forget, like he would just be dunking on people like he was a guy, though, man, that um, he was one of my favorite teammates because he, he took me he took me in like we spent time together. Like we'd go hang out, we'll go talk. We'll when on the plane, I sat next to him, and um, we had a lot of conversations. And um, he's one of the coolest men I know. You know, LeBron's one of the greatest players I ever played. He's the greatest player I ever played us alongside. But Ray is one of my favorite teammates ever because he was so. Uh, he made me feel like because I think my role on that team, I was probably the. If you have a 15 man roster, 14 man roster. I was about a 13th man on that roster. Okay. 12th man on that roster. And um, he made me feel like I was a part of that team and he needed me. And um, I played with him and I, I had a pick and roll. I run pick and roll to him and pick and pop. And my man don't help. I'm knocking that down all day for him. And um, those are the kind of, that was the kind of little uh, on the same page thing we had. And then I had to, you know, I tried to guard the, at the time, those. Tracy McGrady's of the world, the Ron Artest of Sacramento's of the world. I had to guard those guys, but because oh, wow. I was always good defensively. But um, yeah, man, Ray Ray was one of my favorite players because he made me like the day he at the and 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 let me just say this early: Steph Curry passed this record three times over. Right, let's just get that out the way. Yeah. But I was with Ray. We drove to the game together the day he broke the record for most threes in the season, and um, he'd like was like I had to get it out the way. So he came into the game and hit like four or five threes in a row. And then he got the award. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. How you just, because one of the things that blew my mind about Ray Allen was if it was a 12 o'clock game or if it was a 7.30 game, it was like he was always hot. Like it was always, everything he shot would go in, everything. And I was like, this dude is a machine. But he was always in incredible shape because he would ride bikes all over Seattle. Like, he'd have 30-mile 30, 30 bike rides all over the town. And I'm like, this dude is incredible, man. So so being his teammate and watching his professionalism and how he was able to talk to me as if I was, like, an all-star, too, 
it made me, it, it, it helped me be able to talk to people that way later on in my career. And even with students working with them now, like I talk to them as if they're like my peer, we're on the same level. And, you know, I just pointed to them the potential that was poured into me. Like, you can do this. You have the ability to do this. You can help our team. And that's the kind of stuff that I think that um, is incredibly valuable for my my confidence, too, as a professional. That's awesome. I look at the yeah. Seattle roster, too, and I just kind of like what you talked about, like, right? Like, you had offered to Cincinnati. You had offers mm-hmm. to Oregon. I'm like, you mm-hmm. end up, like... You would have played with Danny Fortson, right, at Cincinnati. Yeah. You would have played with Luke Rittenhauer with, at Oregon. But I yet, would have played with Luke Rittenhauer, yeah. Yeah, but then, Even, you Even know, uh, Kenyon Martin, too. I oh, played yeah. with Kenyon Martin at but, uh, Cincinnati. You know, and it's crazy, like, you know, like those guys end up being on your, you know, being teammates with Seattle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, like Chris Wilcox. He was also yeah. another great teammate because he was part of that trade stuff, too, and he left the Clippers and ended up in Seattle, if I can remember correctly. Now you you mentioned Noel. You mentioned how you were always good defensively. What year was mm-hmm. it that you had that uh, the the CBA award, Defensive Player of the Year? Uh, I believe it was two thousand five. Was that the five. Idaho Stampede year? Oh five oh six. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think it was Idaho Stampede because um, it was. I was just uh, no, it wasn't Idaho. I'm sorry. It was Sioux Falls Sky Force. I played with uh, oh we our head coach. What was his name? Uh, he coached with the uh, Sacramento Kings a few years ago. Oh, man, it'll come to me. He oh, was, he was Dave Yeager? My, David Yeager was my coach in Sioux Falls. He was one of the coolest coaches I've ever had. And it was funny because he always would tell me, like, you need to be playing with me. You need to be playing with me. And um, when I played with him, like, he had me. I was playing at a high level. Like, I was averaging, like, 20 and, like, 13, like, 2013 and 4, something like that, or – 19, 15, and 6, oh, like, wow. uh, like blocks. Like, I was – and our team went on, like, a 9-10 game winning streak, and we didn't know who was getting called up because we all were playing really well. And um, we're like, man, somebody getting called up. And we just was – we were destroying everybody. And then I got my call up. But defensively, like, nobody was really scoring on me. Like, I shut everybody down that guarded me, like, from guards to bigs to, like – Nobody could get by me. Nobody, and and it's like, and and um, uh, Coach Brown taught me this. Uh, he said you only got to guard that position for like four or five seconds. You know, you can't, you don't have to worry about being on the island forever. I mean, now because it's ISO ball, you might, you might, it might be a different animal. And like to me, I think in the NBA now, you can't stay in front of anybody because if you if you try to guard Kyrie Irving, if you force him left, he's gonna finish with the left hand. If you force him right, he's going to finish with the right hand. So it's hard to really – and it's like that with everybody. Like, after a while, it's like if they're hot, you might as well just get some popcorn and watch <laughs> because you can't – you're not going to stop a person from getting to their – not only getting to their spots, but being able to create because their skill level is so high, you know. Like Kevin Durant, for example, also. Like, Kevin Durant shoots – at least his, the ball is like nine feet in the air when he goes to shoot. So how do you contest that? It's just him in the rim. You have nothing to do with him missing a jump shot. And those are the things that I see now. And I'm like, man, I don't know how you can guard a cat now. <laughs> you just ha- you have to be feisty. You know, you have to be like Patrick Beverly. And and, and and it's a mental thing, you know, get in his head or or be feisty. Because other than that, it's, it's, it's asking a lot. 
Like, who can stay in front of Steph Curry? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody can stay in front of Steph Curry. And you got to guard him from like 40 feet out. And you got to guard him. And that's if he wants to create a shot. He could just shoot it from your face from 40 feet. So, yeah, the NBA now is, is so different, man. And um, it's it's, uh, it's it's fun to watch. But, man, it's the, the talent, like, offense, offensive skill has doubled defensive presence to me. I think people are twice as good offensively as they are twice as good defensively. You're not, you're just not like, you know, great defenders is like Shane Battier, Bruce Bowen, Ron Artet. Like, how do you stay in front of guys now that can shoot like Damon Lillard, that can shoot like Kyrie Irving, that can shoot like Steph Curry? How do you stay in front of them? You know, we're not even going into the LeBron Jameses of the world and KD. Like, how do you do that? I don't, I, cause, cause I used to watch, me and Ray will watch Kobe Bryant all offensive moves only, and uh, we would watch and we would watch and 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 he he'll go one for five, one for six, make the next one and then go six for seven. Mm-hmm. It's like what do you do to that? You you can't stop that because he's not going to stop shooting. So yeah, it's uh it's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to to even think about now. <laughs> How do you guard these dudes? So after your time in the NBA, you go back overseas, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, I got to a point where I played for Maccabi Tel Aviv, and yeah, it look, um, I requested. It looked like you spent quite a bit of time in Israel. Yeah, I requested a release from Seattle, and um, Rick's son honored it, and uh, he said because the team, so Seattle drafted a guy named uh, Yo Tom Halperin, a point guard from Israel, and he was poised to be the first player to play in Israel in the NBA from Israel. And, um, it ended up being another player and we'll talk about him in a second, but, um, he told them that they should pick me up and, uh, they called and they recruited me and they kept up in the salary for me. And I just was like, it got to a point where I talked to the team and Ray, he was like, nah, we, we're, we're going to try to make a push and we're going to need you. And then I was like, okay, I'm staying here. And then they upped it again. And I was like, Ray, you know what do you think? And then, <laughs> Earl Watson was also another person that was very influential in my decision. Um, they were like, man, you have to go now. I mean, you you don't turn that stuff down. Money talks. So I requested, yeah, I requested a release. And because um, I was on a non-guarantee until January 3rd. So they were going to reevaluate again in January 3rd. And okay. at the time, this is like, you know, to report to camp, it's like September 28th. Yeah. And so um, I made the decision. And when I tell you it was the best decision I ever made, from a financial standpoint, but from being able to see the world, it, it was an incredible experience. And so then moving forward in my career, I always said to myself, I would always encourage players to take a chance with playing overseas more because um, of what I was able to see. Cause like one night we'll be playing in my God, one night we'll be playing in Greece and, and against Panathinaikos and they had Michael Batiste at the time. Then another night we'll be playing against Sheska Moscow they had Trajan Langdon and Gerald Holden assassin. at the time. Trajan Langdon, yeah, he was a, he assassin. Was a, he was a beast, man. And then um, we'd play in uh, Italy and against the team in Rome. Then we'd go play Bashikas in Turkey. They had Rick Apodaca. It was just so many different great basketball places. And, and, and the level of basketball was so high because those players that were tall – they don't bang because they could just shoot over you. And they also could put it on the floor. Hmm. But they're also strong. So it's like the guy that's strong, he can still shoot a 15-footer. 
And the guy that's super long and tall, he could create his own shot. So it's just like you pick your poison. And um, the teams, it's like you, our Maccabi Tel Aviv, that team, it's like we played together for 10 years. Uh, we had Will Bynum, Rodney Buford, uh, J- uh, Jamie Arnold, Derek Sharp, who was there forever and a half. Because we came to that team when they lost Macy Obaston and they lost Anthony Parker. They went to the NBA. Because they were like the Jordans of Europe. He was like Michael Jordan of Europe. Anthony so, Parker? Um, or Yeah, Anthony Parker was. It's kind of sad because um, everyone knows him as Candace Parker's brother. But <laughs> Oh, man, that dude. You should see the highest of this dude in Israel. But so the Maccabi Tel Aviv was like the Lakers of Europe. Like I didn't understand the level and the rich tradition of basketball there. Like we won the Israeli League that year, but they have won it like 29 years in a row. So, like, their tradition was so thick. And, like, the team, like, Will Bynum, you didn't have to do much. Like, I have, like, my eight, eight, ten points or, you know, and our team was just so well-oiled. And it blew me away. Like, all I do is, like, high school again. Just dunk the ball, mm-hmm. run the floor, block shots. That's it. And um, they had a kid named uh, Lior Eliau. And Lior was a four also. And he played a lot of minutes to where I didn't play as much as he did because he was also one that were trying to get to the NBA. And I was okay with that. I was okay with it because I got my money. <laughs> I'm enjoying, I'm, this is a great experience. And I live my NBA dream. You know, when you need me to do more, I'll do more. If you want me to do this, I'll do this. And so I was very, and my, my, my head coach was Nevin Spahia. And I was always very uh, respectful of that. And so at the end of the day, I felt like moving forward, I want to see the world as much as I can while I still can play. And so when I came home, I went to Sacramento and they, they kept me on the roster for the year, but I went back overseas anyway. I went back and played in Israel again because I, I went to the minor league, the Anaheim Arsenal, because it was my first time in the D league and I wanted to be close to home. So in Anaheim, um, an hour and 10 minutes from San Diego, but I'm also like 40 minutes from LA. And then the, the craziest thing happened. <laughs> they, the team folded and they sent us to Portland, like they sent us back East. So I was like, <laughs> that defeats the purpose of that one. But um, I chose to go back to Israel and I played for Jerusalem. And uh, that was also another great experience. One of my teammates, Jamie Arnold went there and um, I loved it. I loved it. So you guys with, uh, with Maccabi, you guys won the Israeli league. Do you go on after that? Mm-hmm. And is there like a the Euro Cup or? So so it was in the Euro League, and we lost to uh, we lost to I don't know if it was Sheska Moscow or Tao. Tao had Tiago Splitter, and they were a well-oiled machine also. So it just you know it was just about who would do what when you know it came down to like that it was like a fight you know what I mean. Um, but we lost to I think it was Sheska Moscow to go to the final four in the Euro League. And then the next year, they went, I think they went to the championship and lost, if I can remember correctly. And then I think the power shifted over to Turkey. I think mm. Turkey started to get really good. But that year, no, uh, correct me. Mike Batiste won the EuroLeague that year with Panathinaikos. Okay. Then, oh, isn't that Gre- uh, Greece? Yeah, then, yeah. yeah in, Gre- in Greece. Yeah, and then um, I think over time... Like, uh, 
what's the name of the team in 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 Greece? Oh no, not Greece. In Turkey, Fenerbahce was really good. They became one of the bigger teams in Euroleague again. So uh, yeah, every now and then I would I used to check it all the time and follow teams because like players are good everywhere and they know where you are. You know, if they want you, they'll come find you. You know, there's guys in the Euroleague like with with um, the guy that made the NBA, Omri Caspi. You know, watching him at 18, 17, he had a heart. Like he had a he had a heart like like he had a lot of uh, he had a heart like a lion on the basketball court. And I would always tell my teammates, we'd be like, yeah, I think he's the one that's going to the NBA. <laughs> he had a heart, man. And he he never backed down and he just played with a passion. Like a, he had the pulse of the game. And it was fun to watch him play young. And, and then he made it to the NBA and he was like that for the Kings for a while. Yeah, he was with the Kings for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And he he had that same role. Like he just had that energy and he was, he just never backed down. I got a chance to talk to him a few years ago, but um, I've always liked his game because his passion for the game. Yep. That's that's pretty rad, man. You got to go you like you said, you know, you lived out the dream in the NBA and then you got mm-hmm. to go see the world. Like not many people can yeah. say that they got paid to go see the world. Yeah. 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 Now, I now, um I did. Now your time in Israel, you hear horror stories about, you know, guys going overseas and playing and not getting paid and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Was that not an issue in Israel? Uh, it was not. Um they took care of me, man. They that's uh, good. We had a guy, rest in peace, he passed. His name is Moni Fanon, and he, uh, his son played on our team. And his daughter is Liron Fanon, and she also, she still does things. I think she does a lot of stuff for Omri Caspi. Uh, yeah, they took care of me. I never had an issue with finances there. Um, issues, finances, finances with issues, I had them, but I just got my money later, hmm. you know? Like I come home, and they're like, oh, you'll get it. Instead of getting it in June, you might get it in August. And I'm like, okay. Then I, I ended up getting it. So I can honestly say with all the places I've got a chance to play, I've got every penny I've ever played for. That's good. Not everybody can say that. Okay. Yeah, not everybody can say that. So there's a kid who's a rookie from the Wizards mm-hmm. who's right, was the youngest MVP in the Israel yeah. League, right? What do you Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts? Have you seen Denny? I don't, even, I don't want to butcher this man's last name, Avij. No, no, no. I've I've seen him play. I've okay. seen him play. What are your and, thoughts um, on I've, him? I think that uh, for first of all, when you have a, a country representing you, know, you represent a country. That's a that's a very cool thing, and if you could pick a country to represent, I mean, Israel's one of them, and I'd say Spain because Spain has such rich basketball culture with Pau and his brother and um, you know Ricky Rubio. There's just so many good players, but I think that he is going to be a good player. I think that he has an opportunity to to really be a, a staple in the NBA because he also can learn a lot from Omri Caspi too. Um, he got a lot of potential, man. And I think that in the league now, you know, 10 years ago, or not even that long ago, I think there were like 130, like 150 point games or something like that, 135 point games. Like it was like 70 or something, 60 of them. Now it's like over a hundred point. Like, and, and my point is saying that is that now, the NBA is the offense is so high. Like you come in and you 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 hone your craft and you find your niche, you could be good. Like you can be special. Because a lot of like my point in saying that is that it's amazing how many guys right now average 20 points a game. Just right now. You know, it's probably like 20 people that average 20 right now in the NBA. Easy. Yeah. You know, I mean, back in the day it wasn't like that. 
Yeah, you know true. what I mean? So for me, man, I think that this kid, he he has a lot of potential, man. And, um, you know, Washington is a good spot. So you played, right? Like you played all the way up to like 2015, 2016, right? Like you. Yeah, yeah. My last my last job was Puerto Rico. I chose to go there. And um, so the way I did it my last few years, because I went to Sacramento camp and then I went to Cleveland camp and I stayed with Anthony Tolliver and then they, they didn't keep anybody. And so then I played again overseas. But then later on, I was like, I want to go somewhere and I want to do it regionally. So if I went to, uh, let's say I went to Venezuela, I would say, where's a good place to play in the region that you guys think? And then they say, man, we'll go to either Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. So I would do both. I would go to Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. I do all three. And then the Middle East, I did the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm playing in Qatar, which was amazing. Just not no fans in the stands, but it was awesome. So it was like, or Bahrain. I was in Bahrain. It was like, if you go from Bahrain, go to Qatar or Dubai or Abu Dhabi. So I'm like, okay. So if something comes up in that region, they'll just call me and then I'll go. Because at that point, I didn't necessarily need an agent because I already had a resume. It was just if you were available to go. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, so that's how I chose where to go towards the end of my career. Like, if I can go here, I'm going to go there. If I can go there, I'm going to go there. And um, I just tried to see the world as much as I could while I still had a little bit left. And, um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun, man. And I, and I always think to myself, like, could I have, if I would have just sat on a bench as a super old vet in the NBA, would I do that too? Um, I don't know. Because I had such a good time towards the end of my career, I don't know. Like I saw so much, and then I try to tell, I try to tell players because making the NBA is very, very hard. It's only 430 players a year, so it's like if you don't do it, there's other things you can do. You can go play somewhere else and still maximize your talent. Like some guys are like, "No, nah, I'm not doing that. I don't want to go overseas." And I'm like, "Yeah, I understand, but if you love the game, man, it's like a relationship. The game is gonna love you back in its own way." where you can go out there and you can maximize your ability and feel like you left it all on the floor. Because when I got done, I had a little bit left, but I feel like I left it all on the floor. Like I, I don't look back and be like, oh, I wish I could have did this or that. Like I maximized it because I knew that it was an uphill battle because of my lack of exposure and not going to the tournament. I knew that I had to really grind to get the NBA run. And once I got that NBA Jersey, I'm like, okay, I made it. No one can take that from me. Now what am I going to do with this opportunity? Am I going to take advantage of the opportunities given? And that's what I did. No, I think you make a great point because I, I don't think a lot of people understand that there's guys who, right, like like yourself, you could sit, you could be, you know, the 12th, 13th, 14th man on an NBA mm -hmm. roster, right, where you're not making that, you know, you're making good money, yeah. but you can go overseas where you're going to get a run, right? You're playing every mm -hmm. day and your contract's mm -hmm. going to be better. Right. You're going to be treated like a mm -hmm. star. And I don't think a lot of people understand yeah. that, that there's guys who right, like who could probably go mm -hmm. to the NBA. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. So so like I give, I give you this example. So when I was in the NBA, I wanted to live as close as I can to Key Arena. So I stayed in this apartment with uh, this uh, hotel with suites in it. And um, Quincy was just coming out and he was going to Washington and Coach Lomar, I always, when he'd come to our Seattle practice, I'm like, look out for my young fella, Quincy. Look out for my young fella. 
And um, when Quincy came out, I never, I didn't even have a car when I was in the NBA. I just walked to the gym and ate. I was in the gym from, I was, I went to the gym, man, from 10 a.m. Practice from 10 to 12. I was in the gym from 7 to 3 or, or 7 to 5, something like that. I, like, lived in the gym. So I was like, I'm not going nowhere. I don't need to drive around town. I'm right where I need to be. And if I needed to be anywhere, <laughs> it's crazy. Ray Allen was, took care of me. So I didn't need, no, I didn't need nothing. It's a good friend to have. You know have. what I mean? That's a great friend to have. So I'm like, I'm, I'm not buying a car. I'm not doing nothing. I pay for my spot, pay for food. And um, I, I, if I, if, if I, I wish I had something. So when Quincy was out there, I would be with him more. That was one thing I was like, man, I wish. Because he was reach out. And I'm like, I only got a car, man. And there was no Uber yet. There was no, uh, <laughs> there was none of that yet. You know what I mean? Um, but overseas is different. Overseas, I got a car. They pay for my flat. And in large part, they even paid my agent. And they paid my taxes in that country. Hmm. So everything I made, I pocket. And then I have to pay my taxes in the States, but it's still different. You got them offshore accounts? Man, in the NBA, <laughs> man, let me tell you, in the NBA, a million dollars is 600000 It's not a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're going to take, you're going to get taxed 1% of tax. And so um, on top of that, you got to pay for your car. You got to pay for your spot, pay for your grub. And if you run around town, you got to pay for that too. And if you take care of A, B, C, and D, that's still coming out of that 600 k So that's where it's a little bit different. And um, I, made way, I made more money. I made twice as much overseas that year than I did had I stayed in the NBA. You talk about that year you asked for your release? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've heard some other things too. I remember once uh, it was Terrell Lide telling me he was making he could make way more money overseas than he would have in the NBA. So. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he did. Okay, so, right, you get done playing, Right. And you talked a little bit living in San Diego, right? Mm -hmm. You come back to Fresno, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about kind of, I think what's cool about you is what you're doing right now, like your job that you have right now. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, man. I'd love to. So, so first of all, like what brought me back here was my son. He, uh, he's a freshman in high school now. And, um, you know, talked to my wife about it and we were able to make the move and it just worked out. I always told her that I prefer to go Northeast because of um, all the stuff that we deal with in our society here. I think that um, me being black and my wife being white, basically, um, I think that that could play a role in us having an impact in our community. And so um, when I came back, we uh, we wanted to. So before in San Diego, we'll find before we made the move. She uh, she had this idea. She wanted to do something. When I retired, we, we we invested in certain things, and we're like we invested in them, but it's like it's it's not fulfilling. Like you invest and you expect a return on certain things. It's like we don't want to do the groundwork for those things. We want to do our own thing. And so she created this idea to create our own brand, and um, man, that ended up being something that I found my niche in it. And I just try to share that, but also try to live that on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, what I do now, I'm going to say that first. What I do now, I'm a transitions coordinator in Close Unified. And what I do is um, I get to work with students that, um, one, it could be academic encouragement. 
It can also be social emotional issues. But uh, I also try to bridge the gap of communication between the teacher and the parent. So I'm speaking on behalf of the kid and and I and I pitch myself to kids. I'm like, I'm not your agent. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. So I pitch myself to kids. I'm like, man, I'll help you communicate with your teacher better so she can understand what you're going what you're what you're going through. And um I can help your mom understand the expectations that the teacher has for you. And uh, with some kids, the pace of classes like some kids lead a little bit more than others. And instead of them being discouraged, I get a chance to work with them. And um, it's really about loving on them, bringing out the best in them. And depending on their situation, like a mild case can be a kid that all of a sudden mom and dad separates. So now he has to adjust to being here one week, there the other week. And it can be taxing on that kid's routine to say, okay, I'm going to do this schoolwork. Or emotionally, it's like, I'm not, I don't like this new normal for me. So my job is to just help him get through the day or her through the day. And more severe ones are kids that, you know, having issues with home. It could be abuse. It could be not having any food. It could be transportation to get to school. There's so many different things that kids deal with. And we try to help them in any way we can. And uh, we're the only school district in the country that has it. And um, I really, really, really am thankful that I have the role in doing this because it's a way for me to give back. And so, like, I, I say that now, then I can share it with the brand for, for you guys and, and let you know how it it's almost like a no-brainer for me. Because with the brand that my wife created, it's called Give Culture. And what it is, it's about changing the way you treat the person in front of you. Like, you treat them how you want to be treated first. And so our first two words were give encouragement and give kindness. I got my shirt on right now. I told you that before. I got my give kindness shirt. We ain't got cameras in here, but it's green and it says give really big (laughs) and kindness underneath. You are appreciated. You are appreciated, brother. So, and I appreciate your support, man. But like the beauty in that, like you wear that shirt, Jason, and that's yours. And now it becomes who you are. So it's your accountability to choose to see the good in other people. And, um, it's just that icebreaker, man, because like to me, it's always going to be relevant to be a good person and to treat people how you want to be treated first. It's like the golden rule. But we've added since kindness and encouragement, we've added thanks, give patience, give love. You know, we have some custom ones. Give forgiveness. You guys got, got hoodies now, too. One. I saw I saw got you guys hoodies. got hoodies. Yeah. We got hoodies. We got uh, we had a custom one made for LeBron. Give leadership. And um, we got it to um, one of his, a friend of mine who does his uninterrupted, uh, he's the executive executive producer for Uninterrupted. He has his shirts and he's waiting on the right time to give it to LeBron. And I'm like, for for me, I, I like the grassroots of it where we're able to do it in the community and share it with our students. And a lot of the staff has it, like Jason. I think that way to do it, it gives us that foundation, you know, because we can also work with corporate companies like, what the brand, I can share it with anyone from the president to the local mom and pop store and have the same message. And it hit you where you are. And it also is something that you can take and go make this world a better place by how you treat the people around you. And that's kind of the goal because we feel like it's needed in society, you know. So I wear my shirts and sweaters and stuff. And it's cool to see on Wednesdays some of the staff in our school, in our feeder schools in the close area they wear their shirts and um, 
it's cool to see. And I think that that's something that we want to spread nationwide and worldwide. But I've been very strategic in how I get it out there because I want people to have it for the right reasons and for their reasons, not necessarily to just blast it out there. You know, I think that if we can get it to a person and it means something, that's our goal. Like there's a story I always try to share when I get a chance to about a gentleman we met downtown San Diego. We were taking pictures because of the nightlife and we had a shirt and my wife's sister was modeling the shirts. And the guy owned like a yogurt store in Gaslamp District on Fifth Avenue in San Diego. He came and he was like, hey, you guys got the shirt. You got Give Hope. And we did. We had Give Hope. And so we gave him the shirt and um, he went to pay for it. And my wife was like, no, 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 that's okay. Don't worry about it. And so he got emotional and he went to the back of the store. And so we're like, whoa, he had a minute. Like, let's, we would like to know what happened when he comes back. So um, he came back and uh, we were like, hey, you know, my wife and her sister were like, hey, you know, what happened? Are you okay? What's going on? And he said, man, you guys don't understand. This shirt is not for me. It's for my mom. She's losing her brother cancer. So the shirt saying give the shirt saying give, give hope, it was something that resonated with him in a personal way where he was just so, it meant way more to him than it could mean to us in that time. And so we were like, wow, this is something really, really powerful. We need to make sure we push this because we, you never know what people are going through and you never know what they need. So I can imagine him giving it to his mom and encouraging her through the shirt that just says, give hope. And I think that's something that we want to capture with everybody we possibly can in a good way. And I'm looking, I just looked, looked it up on uh, Instagram here. It's more than just a, a, a really positive message, right? It, uh, mm-hmm. Isn't it a, don- a donation, excuse me, a donation yeah. with every, every shirt? Yeah, it's, um, it's so much that we're doing, man. And my wife, we created a nonprofit entity and we, it's our company, it's our brand. And so, um, it's just going to be something we're going to pursue forever. So then uh, also going back to doing what I do in the district, it's like hand in hand. Like I'm, I'm offering myself to these kids in a way where I just try to find them to find their own value and to help them get to where they're in a position to be successful as students, because you just never know with these kids, man, what they're dealing with, what they're going through. I love it, man. You, uh, you know, you got to play ball at the highest level. You got to see the world. But it sounds to me like all of this new post-basketball stuff is even more important. It is, man. And, and I, I say it like this, Jason. I say that um, I have lived my dream. Now I'm living my purpose. My purpose is to serve other people. And um, my wife, she, you know, she created a vehicle to do that. And it's very, very easy to do it because I live that. Like, I love sharing. I love talking about basketball. Like, every day I walk to your local Target store, somebody's going to ask me, you play basketball? The fact of the matter is I did, and I have a heck of a story. But, you know, I appreciate those conversations. But now I can walk through that local Target, and somebody can have on the shirt to say, give kindness. And it's like now we have a conversation on a different level. Because one of the things I was telling my wife about was um, the example of, let's say, we're at a school and kids wear our shirts, right? Let's say a kid has, he has his boots to his knees and he has his fingernails painted black and his hair's dyed super black and his shirt says, give hope. 
And then you got the most popular kid on campus, the quarterback. He walks into class. He's our school jock. He's going to a D1 school next year, high, five-level recruit. And his shirt says, give kindness. That kid in the corner with his shirt and the guy walked in the classroom, they have something in common in a way that they wouldn't have if they didn't wear the shirts. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of message or that's the kind of impact we want to have in society. Like, you ha- you don't watch the same shows. You don't listen to the same music. But we can talk about what it means to wear that shirt. And I think that's the biggest thing for us to to, to create that kind of conversation in a positive way and just being something that's uplifting in our in our community and with our students. Let alone our students with our with our parents and with our teachers. Like, Anybody, because it's always relevant to be good to people, you know. Oh, especially, and you know, mm-hmm. you look at what's been happening to you know, just in the United States and everything. You know, you can never give too much hope, never too much kindness, you know. And, never, yep. And so, like, if yep. somebody listened to this, I don't know how many people we actually have listened to this, but you know, like, like where, like, if they want, you know, support, you know, support your guys's foundation, mm-hmm. get a shirt or get a sweatshirt. Like, where, you know, where could they go and get that stuff? Well, um, one, it's um, our Instagram is the easiest one. Uh, it's shopgiveculture.com. Well, it's just at giveculture.com. I'm sorry. At giveculture.com is our um, Instagram. And I'm, I'm, I'm not good with social media stuff, so <laughs> it's just, I think it's just at giveculture. Yeah, I got it right here. <laughs> yeah, on Instagram, it's at giveculture. And then, um, yeah, and then um, also it's uh, – it's shopgiveculture.com. That's www.shopgiveculture.com. And it shows you our website and stuff like that. And uh, everything is under that. You know what I mean? Everything is under that. So, you know, it's, uh, again, it's it's my purpose, man, just to serve and, and give back as much as I can. And I love it. You know, I love doing what I do. And um, this brand is just a, a vehicle to say, you know, because we always, I think we all agree, we want to make the world a better place. You know what I mean? And I just... I think that this is a way to do it and it's a tool to treat the people around you better because that's how you make the world a better place by treating people around you good and be inspiring to people because we can watch the news and see things that are negative and disheartening all the time. But it's like, what do you, can you do about that? Well, go out there and treat the people around you better. You know, it's that accountability piece that I think is needed, but it's at give culture and um, shopgiveculture.com is the website. And um, yeah, man, it's uh, I appreciate you guys spreading the word. And, um, you know, I try to encourage people to tag us because, you know, the shirts, they're everywhere. Like people, people have them everywhere. Um, we're going to continue to grow, which is always cool. Um, I have a goal to get our shirts into all the major companies in our in the world. And if I can, all of them, I mean, from the gas companies to the yahoos to the googles because you have an office and you can have a cultural awareness in your in your workplace when we when people are starting to go back to their offices and workplaces so i that's my dream man just to get our shirts everywhere and just have that for people to be inspired by i love it man i'm looking at the website right now i'm gonna have to get me a give uh a give hat i'm gonna give me a hoodie (laughs) yeah man that's our stuff man rocking and rolling I love it. Well, I got one more random question for you. Again, I can't no, thank I'm you enough. This. Can't thank you enough for uh, doing this. But you've been pleasure. you've been all over the world. Are you a are you the kind of guy that collects little you know mementos or memorabilia from all your travels? 
Um, I, I have little things. I didn't really get into anything specific because you can collect so many things. Yeah. Uh, but I always, always grabbed a little something from somewhere for my mom. Like I got a lot of stuff from Israel for my mom. Uh, I was, you know, I always try to get something. Yeah. Just to say I've been there. Um, but I know people collect spoons. I know people collect postcards <laughs> and stuff like that. And that's pretty cool. Um, I, I just, uh, if I, if I have any regret about that though, I wish I took more pictures because huh. I've seen some stuff, man, like from Egypt. I've seen some stuff in Africa. I've seen some stuff. I mean, the, 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 the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Like I've seen some stuff in the Dead Sea. I've seen so many cool things with these eyes, man. And I just, that's where it goes back to me thinking like, when I just sat the bench in the NBA, like after you get that, that, that Jersey and you get your little money and, because they say one thing you can take from basketball is your money and your memories. But I just look back and I'm like, man, like I love being able to see the world the way I did. Yeah, I think you did you it know? right. And, I think and, you, it, I think and you. Then, yeah, and it didn't cost me anything like it time at home. But but, um, you know, my wife and I, you know, I got married later in my career and, um, you know, Skype was my best friend for a long time. <laughs> well, if you think about it, but, it would have uh, been the same. Right. If you're in the NBA on the, you know, on the bench, you're still mm-hmm. going to not be home. That's true. That's true. But but also, and that's that's a good point you just made because it's the same reason why I don't care to coach in the NBA or anything like that, or 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 do an internship in the league because it'll take me away from my family. And um, like I I coached. I mean, I told my wife I wasn't interested in coaching, <laughs> and I've coached at Clark. <laughs> I've coached at Clovis High School, and I've coached at, at San Joaquin Memorial. Already, and I'm like, I didn't think I, I was like, I don't want to coach. I want to help kids improve their skills, and uh, that's something that I'm working on, you know, later on down the line with some people to help individual skill improvement. But uh, and I'll keep you in touch with that, Jason. We'll talk about that it, later. But um, you got them two daughters yeah. too, so don't don't mm-hmm. be sleeping on your daughters. No, I don't, <laughs> man. And um, you know, I was happy to be able to coach Macy and the girls at Memorial when I had them that lightning in the bottle, mm-hmm. but. I, uh, man, I definitely have plans to just be here, raise my kiddos and, um, just be a part of our community because it's a good community. And, um, you know, there's some things that can be better, but I'm here to help make those changes. So I'm going to continue to run my race, man. And, uh, you know, I think that my wife is good here and, um, our family is great here and, you know, we have a, we have a really special community, but, I'm looking forward to impacting that and, and, and even to take it to even another level. So, Well, part of why it's so special is because you're here d- doing your thing, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. I appreciate well, that. We're, uh, we've been going a long time. I thank you so much for your time, man. This has been I awesome. I love it, man. I love it. I appreciate it, it Noel, it. man. I, um, thank you for taking that time. You know, you're very welcome, man. And um, if you want to catch up again, whatever you guys need, let me know, man. I appreciate your time as well. And, I thank you for allowing me to share. And um, if someone didn't know, now they know, I guess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, this is Off the Bench. Thanks for listening, guys. You've been listening to the Off the Bench podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod Off the Bench. <laughs>